You're listening to the Be So Good podcast with Colin Pierce. Colin says you are 10 times better than you think. So why not be so good that they simply can't ignore you? Here's your host, Colin Pierce. Before we kick off, I need to explain a couple of things. You could be forgiven for thinking halfway through this recording that it's a recruiting CD to get you to join up with Amway, or in this case, IDA. No, that's not my intention at all. This, you'll remember, is presented to inspire you to be a better storyteller or speaker or communicator. And this presentation is the biggest example I could think of for including. It shows how, if you learn enough about your audience, their dreams and their aspirations, their quirks, their jargon and mindset, you can use a story to help them to go where they want to go. It's intense. It's matched to the audience's mood. There were 7,000 people there. The energy is high because it's a weekend of celebration. So, hang on to your hair. Here we go. Do you believe that dreams come true? (laughs) I thought you might. I've been dreaming to be on this stage in front of an audience like this in IDA for about 20 years. And tonight is a wonderful night for me, especially because all those other years I could have been invited and didn't get an invitation was because I wasn't ready and neither were they. But you're here and so am I and we're all ready together, so let's get something happening, all right? I love telling stories and tonight's story is about a young man named Dion. His last name was Basher and he had a nickname. It was Statue Basher. He was a general enlisted soldier, general infantryman, and so he was called G.I. Dion. G.I. Dion had one of those hero moments. He was busy working at his home farm, doing the things that boys do at home farms, looking after the flocks and goats and doing other things with the wheat and corn and so on, making a little cooking here and there for the people on the farm. And an emissary from the king arrived and said those immortal words, your country needs you. This was a great surprise to Dion. And he said, well, I don't know whether I can do fighting or anything, but I can do cooking. So he ran in the house, got some food, brought it out, put it on a little picnic table, and the emissary from the king took out his weapon and went (laughs) and exploded it right on the spot and said, I mean business, your country needs you. And to start off, I want you to go out to the corner of the road and I want you to pull down that peace treaty thing you've got out there because the people in the hills are the enemies of our country and you and your family and townspeople have made a peace treaty out there and I want it pulled over and tell them what for. He wasn't very brave about that, but so at late at night he got his best scrub clearing bullocks, a team of lads and went out to the country corner side, pulled the thing over and came back home, hid inside. In the morning, the people from the town plying their trade up and down the road came up and saw that the thing had been pulled over, which was a symbol of the peace treaty between the hills people and his people, and came running around to all the farms to see who had done it. Who has done this evil deed, they said. They came to Dion's farm, and his dad said, well, young Dion did it. But I tell you what, If you're going to be mad at anybody, why don't you let the thing be mad itself? Because if it's so powerful, it's so important, it's so special to you, let the thing string him up or punish him and let him go. Because if it's that mad, it'll do it itself. Which seemed to be a funny thing to say, but for some strange reason, they all were happy with that. and They all went off with their tail between the legs and went home. So Dion started out in his work for the army. Now, 
I could tell you the rest of the story, but I'd have to kill you. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story because I read it in this little book. Somebody left it in the hotel for me to read. And I looked it up, and actually the full story is in here. Uh, look, uh, bloke there, could you, that, that chap there, folding his arms, looking a bit cynical, could you just run up the stairs for me real fast? Real fast. Run, run, run. Have a little fun. In and out of the shadows, in and out of the sun. Um, Come on, don't be shy. What's your name? Gary. Come on down, Gary. This is Gary, everybody. Say hi, Gary. Uh, Gary, you look a bit dorky with your pen in your pocket. That looks better. Now, uh, could you just read this for me? Because my eyesight's not so good and I can't actually get things uh, straight first up. So it's around about here that I'd like you to read uh, from this little book. Hang on. I'll find it. I folded over the wrong page for you. There we are. Just, could you read that for me? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the... Uh, Terebinth. Terebinth tree, uh, which was in... Uh, Ophrah. Ophrah. <laughs> which belonged to Joash. Yeah. The Abbey is right. Abbey is right. While his son Gideon... That's G-I-D-on. Yep. That's right. No, you got that. I'm sorry, all this time I thought that's a G.I. Dion. So this book wasn't written by G.I. Dion. It says, placed by Gideons. Well, I'll be blowed. I thought that said G.I. Dion. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Give him a love. Oh, look. While you're here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I'd love you to have this lovely book written by my favourite author, moi, and you can take that away. And if you come and see me at the bookstore later, I'll sign it. Not now. We're on the time program. <laughs> Big thanks. Ah, uh, yes, it is indeed a story about Gideon, the famous Bible character. Now, some of you are already afraid and you're saying to yourself, oh, I didn't come here to go to church. I heard about these things, very American sort of things, and they do this religious stuff as well on the side, and they suck you in. Well, if you really wanted somebody to preach, it would sound like this. So I'm just going to give you a demonstration of what preaching would be so that when I sound like I am, I'm not, so you'll know. Uh, preaching, for example, would be, let me think, say you were preaching in America on the, on the subject, um, let's see, the subject of Jack and Jill. And it'd sound like this. First of all, you need to be wearing a very big white hanky. I'm going to preach to you today on the subject of Jack and Jill. Now you take Jack Oh, that's an ordinary man, Jack. Oh, not your Nathaniel, not your Barry, not your Winston. I'm talking about a common man by the name of Jack, and he takes upon himself a task. He go up a hill. Now, I want you to know that that little word up, you know what that little word up mean? That mean up. Oh, some of you wouldn't know what the word up was, because when you approach life, some of you go round the hill, some of you go under the hill, some of you, like old Pete, already gone over the hill. Some of you boneheads try to go right on through the hill. But now Jack, he went up that hill. Ah, thank you, brother. 
and he took with himself a woman by the name of Jill. Oh, not your Marjorie. Oh, no, sir. Oh, no, sir. Not your Beverly. No, sir. Not your Marilyn. No, sir. He took with himself a little woman by the name of Jill. Oh, you know what they was going up the hill for? Were they going to the liquor parlor? No, sir. Were they going to the house of ill repute? No, sir. Were they going to drink the devil's brew? No, sir. They was going for water. <laughs> water. Think of them, my friends. Water. They're very... Anyway, that's what preaching would sound like. <laughs> so here's the story. Angels don't appear to people very often. Probably about seven times in human history, an angel has made a real fizzog appearance right up front in your face. This angel's probably been preparing for 3,000 eons, and he's got his words down right. The Lord says, you go and find me a man, and you say to him, hail mighty warriors. And the angel goes, hail mighty warriors, hail mighty warriors, hail mighty hail mighty hail hail And he's practicing his words, hail mighty and the day comes, the day comes. And so he's off. He leaves heaven wherever that is and he puts his little homing beacon on and he goes, past Pluto, past Venus, comes back, back to Earth, gets a little bit closer to the big blue marble. He's now over the Middle East, now over Canaan. Now he's over Gideon's farm. And he pulls up. <sighs> Expecting to find the mighty warrior dressed in sword and guns and uniforms, but all he can hear is this sound. <sighs> Thinks to himself, this is a strange sound. So he walks around the farm looking for the hero, ready to say, who, mighty warrior. He gets to the side of the... He gets to a side of a hole. And there's our hero down the hole. He's actually in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, I don't know if you know much about threshing wheat. They don't do it much these days. But when I was a boy, they didn't do it either. But you take a whole bunch of wheat, you throw it in the air with a big scoop, you bring it down, and you beat the living daylights out of it with a flail, stick with a whole lot of strings on it, and then you put your scoop in, throw it in the air again, and all the chaff blows away and the wheat comes down, and that's called threshing wheat. Say, ah. Oh. <laughs> it needs wind, right? Usually you do it between two sheds or barns. This is the first indication that a hero is not so smart. <laughs> For how much wind do you think there is in a hole in the ground which is a wine press? Yeah, well, it all depends on how much of the wine you've been drinking. <laughs> so he's in, the wine, he's in the wine press. Now, the reason he was in there was because the marauding hordes from the hills used to come down and steal the grain from these people, which is why they had the peace treaty deal with them, and they would protect themselves as long as they had this statue thing. This, this thing was a, a statue of Baal. Now, I've been in Byblos, the oldest still inhabitant... The, the oldest still in... The oldest still inhabited city in the world in northern Lebanon. And I've seen the places where the Baal worshippers and the Egyptian god worshippers and the Ashtar worshippers sacrificed young children in fires. Gives you a creepy feeling. 
Gideon's people had made a peace treaty with that mob. And to protect himself from the marauding hordes, he was threshing his wheat in the wine press so they wouldn't find it. So there's the angel standing on the side of the hull, glowing, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And he looks down at the hero and he goes, Hail mighty warrior. Down in the hole, the hero looks up and he says, Oh, me? But I'm the only one down here. I'm sure the angel said, What are we doing in the hole? <laughs> and I'm sure the hero said, mm, mm. Well, mm. Or fell in or can't get out. Well, you may laugh and smirk, but wasn't that you before somebody came along and showed you the wonderful IDA system? Be careful what you laugh at, my darlings, because Uncle Colin will get you. There he was, like you, doing the right thing in the wrong place with the wrong system. Working his little tiny off. Hiding in a cubby hole somewhere between two felt pin-up boards. Working at a computer. Soldering bits and pieces in broken TV sets. Yelling at pimply-faced teenagers. Oh, working his tail off for no reward. How many people do you know who are currently working their tail off? Going so hard, getting nowhere, doing the right thing, but doing it in the wrong place with the wrong system, yes? That was our hero. He had fallen in and he couldn't get out. Until somebody came with a better offer. The angel of the Lord came and said, I want you to do a mighty feat for the Lord and for the people. I want you to wipe out the Amalekites and the Midianites, the Mozzibites, the Motorbites and the uh, <laughs> Balletites, all living over the other side of the river. I'll tell you why. Now, a lot of people get offended by this. They say, oh, that's so nasty. You know, all that stuff in the Bible about all killing people and everything. Well, listen, if he hadn't done it, you wouldn't be here to whinge about it because those people killed babies and sacrificed young virgins. And so sooner or later, there wouldn't have been enough of them to go around to populate the world. And somehow we wouldn't have been here because that religion would have spread and it had to be stopped. Do you get it? Say, oh. <laughs> Gee whiz, you've got to explain everything to some people. So... He says, I want them wiped out. I want you to gather everybody and make an army. So the boy blows a trumpet. It's called the trumpet of Jubilee. So he blows this thing. I want you to have a little practice. Could you all just blow in the end of a sheep's horn? It's a curly thing. And you make a little embouchure, tight little embouchure. That's similar. <laughs> Right, ixnay on the ooters, Tay. We're going to do this with our lips. Are you ready? We're going together. 
That's, that's enough, that's enough. People in the front here are drowning, okay. Now what'll happen, I'd like you people up there on the hillsides to go, go. Lovely. And out of the other end comes this great sound and I'd like you on the floor to be the sound at the other end. Because after all, in this organisation, you are the big noises. So here we go with the sound you make, all right? You go, Aah! Right, so practice your bit. Aah! Right, from the top, here we go. Yeah, I'm sorry, that wasn't loud enough because you did hard enough. So could we a bit stronger, please? One, two, three. Well, he blew his trumpet. And 32,000 people rolled up ready for battle. 32,000 people. Now that is what I call sponsoring. Man, could that guy sponsor? All he did was blow his trumpet. And a lot of people think this is a load of ooey, Colin, because nobody could blow a trumpet and have 32,000 people roll up. Well, you don't know anything about trumpet blowing, obviously. This boy had learned to blow the trumpet in the hole in the ground because there was no wind. He threshed the weed himself. When the thing went up in the air, he went and did his own wind, you see. So when he blew the trumpet, man, it happened. Actually, I don't know how it happened, but I think it was something like that. Probably they blew the trumpet from hillside to hillside. He was ready to go. He had himself an army. He had 32,000 people in his downline. He was ready to take over the world. However, his immediate diamond direct upline, the Diamond Direct Upline, if you take my meaning. The Lord said, this isn't how it's going to be done, son. I know what these people are like. When the 32,000 of them take on the Amalekites and the Midianites and I do the victory, they'll take all the credit. So I get some of them to go home. So the boy says, um, the Lord reckons if uh, anybody's a bit scared, got a runny tummy or something, needs to go home to mum, uh, it's all right. Um, you can, you know, if you're not up to it and that. And 22,000 people packed up and went home. Which the boy found just a little bit daunting, as you can imagine. Loses two thirds of his downline, he hasn't even started yet. I'm going to tell you, this is an amazing fellow. He's not all that bright. Some of you are offended because you're saying to yourself, he can't say that about people in the Bible. People in the Bible are good people. No, people in the Bible are rat bags. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in there. <gasps> you just sucked all the oxygen out of the room, I can tell. Now, get this. Get this. You don't get it with a couple of exceptions. A couple of exceptions, and only a couple. All their lives are spread out in front of you as being complete dirtbags. That's why they're in there. There's only a couple. You, the prophet Daniel, uh, the, the great progenitor of a, a tribe of people, Joseph and Jesus himself, the rest are all buffets. <laughs> you know, the great King David, whose star now sits over Jerusalem and over Tel Aviv, he was an adulterer and a murderer. 
Abraham, the great father of all nations, was, was a terrible liar, let his wife have an adulterous affair with other people. If you, if you just look through the old book, you'll be astounded at the badness of these people. You know why they're in there recorded with all their badness and all their wrinkles? It's to assure you and me that grace covers a multitude of sins. And that was preaching. I just sneaked that in on you, but that's, that's how it goes. That's why they're there. Now, this boy, don't be offended when I tell you this boy was a bit of a nuff-nuff, because it's the truth. He's there to show us that people, all sorts of weak people actually get through. This boy was so, so faithless. He didn't believe anything. He'd had an angel of the Lord appear to him, one of the only seven or eight people in human history that's ever had that happen. He had his cakes blown up in front of him by an x-ray machine from the angel. Like I said, he went out and he pulled the Baal statue over and that was such an evil infestation of horror. It's a wonder that he didn't get consumed somehow by the experience itself, but he lived through that. Then he came, the people came around to string him up and he lived through that. He's had four evidences that something's going on here, something bigger than him. Then he says, when all these people go home, he says, mm, I'm still not sure. I'd like to do an experiment. And he says, God, um, you know my bunny rug? Well, if I put it out on the ground in the morning, could you make the bunny rug all wet with dew and that and make the ground all dry? And then I'll know that, you know, there's something's going on. I mean, he's seen an angel. What's he need? This guy's a buffhead. So he gets up in the morning and he runs out. And he says, oh, look, it's all soggy. <laughs> and he wrings a bucket of water out of the lamb's wool skin thing. And the ground's all dry. And he says, hmm, oh, I'm going to try that again just to be sure. That stuff doesn't happen normally, but he wants to be sure. The guy's got less brains than a party sausage. So he goes back in and he says, mm, God, um, if it's really you and that, um, could you, uh, well, you know, in the morning, how about we do the dry bunny rut and we do all wet on the ground instead? And Sure enough, he comes out in the morning, he says, oh, it's all sloshy. Hmm. Oh, it's my bunny rug, it's all dry. And he picked it up and sure enough, it was dry. And he said, it must be real. 32,000 people had come to the sound of his trumpet. He'd seen an angel, he'd had his food blown up in front of him, he'd lived through the pulling over the, over the bale statue. He had lived through the people who were threatening to hang him. Now he's ready. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't need this much proof. Our system works. Now put a big smile on your face and say as kindly as you can, so don't be a buffhead. get on with it. Oh, you said that real loud. So the Lord said, there's too many of these people, 22,000 packed up and went home. And then Gideon said, so I've only got 10,000 now, what do I do with them? And the Lord said, there's still too many. I know what they're like. They'll take all the credit for themselves. So take them on a long march and we'll sort them out. Take them for a drink. So he lines them all up. Whatever they say. <laughs> and there they were, all dressed in their best battle sandals. Their cast iron undie jocks. Little battle tunics, like netball cozies. They had a tea towel around the head with a jammy cord tied in a bow at one side. 
had a dressing gown on with a bit of string. They were ready. And he said, Have I the left foot here? Much. So they all said, Oh, where are the men from Gideon? Oh, where are the men from Midian? Oh, we're going to kill the Amalites. We're going to kill the Taylorites. Oh, we're going to kill the Balotites. He left or right. And they kept on marching. Left or right. Left or right. Oh, we're going to kill the Midianites. Oh, we're going to kill the Amalekites. Left or right. Left or right. Left or right. Oh, one, two. He's a boy. And well, Puff, Gideon, well, kind of like Gideon. We're going to kill that Gideon, I tell you. I'm dying for a drink, Cecil. Are you not dying for a drink? I've had it. And then Gideon said the immortal words. Drinkies. So 9,700 of them went like this. Down to the river they went. <laughs> oh, Cecil, that was good. Oh. oh, it's running in all my crooks and crannies. Oh. I know what I'm going to do, Sydney. I'm going to roll over on my other side. <laughs> oh, 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 that's nice, isn't it? Oh, it's lovely. Oh, 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 Sydney, this is beautiful. Oh, that Gideon's not such a bad chappy after all. Oh. I'm going to do my face now. Oh. Oh. At our house, your face wasn't clean until you made the noise. As my grandfather and my mother got up early in the morning and turned on the cold tap, you could tell it was the cold tap because it rattled through the house and it was the only tap we had. And the pipes went through the house and went and woke the whole house up through the galvanised iron roof. And then my grandfather, then my mother would go in the bathroom and wash their faces. And you could tell they were washing their faces because first of all, you'd hear their glasses go on the sink. And then you'd shut your eyes and wince. And they'd get the cold water and they'd go. <laughs> and if we ever went into the kitchen without having made the noise, she would say, have you done your face? Because in those days, you only had to do the front of your knees, your neck and your face, right? Well, bath night was Saturday. My auntie Linda came to stay with us and my mother wanted me to have a bath on Tuesday. And I said, what for? I had a bath Saturday. And she's just, shh. Auntie Linda's one of those funny people that thinks you have to have a bath twice a week. <laughs> she was real clean. My brother Fred pretty quickly worked it out. Oh, he'd go into the bathroom. He'd stand behind the door and he'd go, <laughs> without turning the tap on. Then he'd go into the kitchen and he'd say, I made the noise. But different from the noise that Grandpa used to make after that, but that's a different story. <laughs> I, I was telling this story at our house the other day and we're mentioning all of this. My brother is now 67 years old. He's been married something like 44 years. 
And my sister-in-law, Judith, said, <laughs> he still makes the noise. <laughs> now, I got down here for a reason, and I can't exactly remember what it was. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. So I'm making a big noise, right? <laughs> Carrying on like porkers choppers. Oh, that's how it's nice, isn't it? Yes, oh, I'm loving it myself, Cyril, that's good. Uh. I think we had a name change there, didn't we? Now, 9,700 of them were like Sydney and Cyril. 300 of them did this. And the Lord said, I'll have them, the 300 of them. Send the other 9,700 home. Now the question to the member for Warren Gilly without notice is, <laughs> why did the Lord want the slurpers and not the splashers? I'll take some volunteer answers. Anybody like to tell me? What did he say? Say it again. They were leaders. They were disciplined. I got, I got one word for you. I got one word for you. Listen, chap. I do the comic routine. You just sit there and be quiet, all right? He said it was because they couldn't swim. wasn't funny. Everything you said is, in one word, a load of baloney. I think most of you are brought up as Baptists or Methodists in the old school of things. Because, wait for it, you're going to love this as well as hate it at the same time. If God chooses people because they're better, vigilant, leaders, ready, watching, then what hope is there for anybody? If grace is grace, then it's pure grace, not based on favor, skill, or talent. Hello. You got it? I can see that didn't sink in with some of you, so I'm going to say it again. He didn't pick them because they were better. He could just as well have said, all those with attached lobes stand there and unattached lobes stand there. All those with blue eyes stand there. All those with brown eyes stand there. All those who can curl their tongue stand there. All those who can't curl their tongue stand there. But he didn't. He just happened to say, go and get the slurpers and go and get the splashes and split them all up. And it has to be that way because if it were not that way, then it would leave you and me going out into the world looking for the best people before we sponsored anybody. And you know who we would find? Nobody! Turn to your neighbour and say, uh, I think I got that point. <laughs> now say, this is really good value. <laughs> Colin really knows what he's talking about. I'm going out to his booth later and buy all his books.
Nobody ever says that. So he just takes these people on the fact that they're people. And then he does something really strange. He teaches them a system. It's very hard to teach 32,000 people a system, especially in an unusual system like the one he teaches them. It's very hard to teach 10,000 people a system, but it's not so difficult to teach 300 people a system. I hope this is sinking in, is it? You getting this? Good. Because here's the system he taught them. Very, very different. See, in most businesses today, you go out and you teach people to flog stuff. I spent a lot of my life working all over the world teaching people to flog stuff. No, teaching people to sell tires, teaching people to sell flowers, teaching people to sell tractors, teaching people to sell nuclear reactors. That's a tricky one. I spent a lot of time in those seminars telling stories. Chernobyl, Kiev. Your system is not about flogging stuff. I, I, I guess you know that well enough, but let me reinforce it that I know that you know. See, it's not about going door to door, is it, and saying, hi, um, we got this LOC stuff, and it's, you know, it's good for gargling, and it raises the leaves from the bottom of your pool, and that's what my mother-in-law tried to tell me. My kids thought it was hilarious. It's not about flogging stuff, is it? Oh, are you sure? Oh, uh, no, you're not, actually, because I've heard some of you saying, oh, we've got Harvey Norman now, and you can buy Cokes and Pepsis. You're back into flogging stuff again. See, you have a dream, a dream picture that you need to paint, and this boy had a dream given to him, and the dream was a bigger dream than flogging stuff and doing things the ordinary way. And what you're selling people, you say it over and over again, but I wonder if it's really sunk in deep down in your heart or into your innermost being, that what you're selling people is an opportunity to change their lives. They stand up for themselves instead of doing the right thing in the wrong place, but doing the right thing in the right place with the right system and the right plan. Say, ah, oh. yeah, I did know this, but I forget. <laughs> he says to these 300 people, here is something really radical. This is different from the general retail army situation. He said, I want you to take all your knives and your forks and your spoons and your swords off because I've got a different plan for you, and here it is. I want you to scurry around the countryside and find yourself a big flower pot or a vase, get yourself a blob of wood with a stick of tar on it, and get yourself a sheep's horn to turn into a trumpet. So off they all scurry, the 300 of them. They run all over the countryside finding these things. He says, be back here at sunset. So they all come back, and on the way back, they're saying, they're, actually they're doing a whole, whole lot of cross-lining. They're saying, what are we to do with this? But, but, how can you fight an army with this? No, I have no idea myself, I don't know. <laughs> See, in those days, the normal system was to walk up to somebody in a war, you'd say, hello, happy war. Uh, they'd play the national anthem, and you would reach out with your knife and jab them in the eye with your knife, which would tend to make their eye water a bit. <laughs> and they'd want to push their eye back in, so while they're pushing their eye back in and otherwise preoccupied, wiping the other one from tears, you get out your, your sword and you stick it in the navel and you go <laughs> all the way up to their chin. Now, now all their stuff's falling out as well as their eye. And while they're thus preoccupied, you go ahead and kill them. 
much more clinical today. You sit away 10,000 miles and you press a button and everybody's taken care of and nobody gets their hands dirty. But that wasn't the way in those days. So here they are. They said, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get uh, to this laddie and a bit, hit him in the eye with my blob of tar and sh glue his eye shut? And, and now while he's trying to get the glue up, bash him on the head with my vase, what will I do, Cyril? I don't know, Sydney. It's very funny for me. I don't get it either. I wonder what we'll do. Anyway, wait till night time. Gideon said, here's the plan, boys and girls. They stood on the top of this hill. They're wondering how they could find the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Mozzibites and the Balletites. They were all out there with their camels. And there was 135,000 of them and something like 50,000 camels. It's not hard to find 50,000 camels at any time if the wind's blowing your way. So that's how they found them. They were in the valley of Jezreel and Gideon and his 300 men stood up on the top of this hill. And he said, here's what we'll do. We'll light the torches, because that's what they were, blob of wood. We'll light your blob of wood with your stick of tar on the top. You know what I'm trying to say. We'll stick it in the jar, and then we'll blow our tutors, and then you say what I say. Everybody got that? Pass the word along. So they pass the word along, and this is called, I think you might be familiar with this term. It's called, learn, do, teach. That's very good. You do know some things after all, don't you? So he had learned this himself, he was going to do it, and he was teaching them, and they were going to do it as well. And this is called, I think you might have heard of this word as well, it's called duplication. It's easy to duplicate with 300. Now let me go back to this 32,000 business just for a second. You would consider that that is a major setback, wouldn't you? Sometimes you get major setbacks in your life as well as in your business. I've had a few. I'll guarantee in a crowd this big there are people who have had some absolutely hideous, horrendous setbacks in their personal life. And it's not my intention to make light of that by comparing mine with yours. There are people here who've lost a child through suicide. They've lost a child through a tragic death. They've lost a loving partner through an awful sickness. Maybe you had a trusted business and, and your business partner ran away with the money as well as your own partner. I know in a business group like this there would be people who've suffered an awful setback. You will have setbacks. You think to yourself, I'm going to build myself the biggest group in human history. And so you do. You've got a downline that's a whopper and everybody says, wow, you're a comer, aren't you? Oh, you're going dormant any second. You say, yeah, that's my dream. And then something happens. Somebody poaches them. Somebody steals them. A big deal comes along on the internet. Or somebody puts in a scare somewhere and makes all the people quiver and they all get the runs and go home. <laughs> that will happen. He didn't give up because he hung on to his dream. Listen to me. They may leave you, but they cannot take your dream with them. He thought he was okay with his 10,000, and he lost them as well. It's enough to give you a headache, isn't it? How many setbacks have you had? I had a terrible one. Sometimes, in his own wisdom, God takes away that which you have in order to give you something new and a new perspective. I went to live in America. Took my four children, my wife. We went to live in America and make a new life for ourselves, making children's video television programs. And the man said, come over. It'll be wonderful. We'll make you famous. You'll do a great thing. So I went. The day I got there, they said, oh, we haven't quite got the money yet, but you'll be right. Wait six months and we'll have it. So we sat in the snow in Ohio, looking out our front window, waiting for Christmas to come, and it never did. It was always snow, but never Christmas. 
a day after our airfares, return airfares ran out, the guy rang me and said, oh, by the way, we can't raise the money at all. Now I was absolutely destitute. I had no income, had no green card, couldn't work, couldn't even join an MLM or a networking company, nothing. Know why? I didn't have the money for the enrollment. Absolutely, totally lost. The people at the church nearby gave us 14 boxes of macaroni cheese in big cartons. We lived on macaroni cheese. A lady used to meet Christine at the school gate and take her washing home and do it and bring it back that afternoon. I didn't know whether I was like the Spaniard who married the Jew. I didn't know whether I was Carmen or Cohen. It was an awful experience. That was a huge setback. I had a business and I was speaking like this and then suddenly I was Mr. Super Nobody. It was horrible. Strange things happen though. Strange things happen. You get taken back in order to go forward. Sometimes one step back, sometimes two steps back for three steps forward. So here he is with his 300 men. He's taught them the system. He's narrowed it down to people who will do the system. They will follow what's been given them. And the Lord says to him, now run down into the camp because if you're still a bit scared, wait till it's dark and I'll show you something really good. Now you'll have to go back and read it into Gideon yourself because a lot of people don't believe this is true. He went and a lot of the other stuff I said wasn't true, but this bit is. It, <laughs> He goes down into the tents, and the outermost tent, he hears this guy say, <laughs> Get it off me! Get it off me! Get it off me! <laughs> They're squashing me! I can't breathe! I can't breathe! <laughs> and he heard his friend inside the tent say, Wake up. We don't like you having all these dreams all the time. Stop with the dreams. What is tonight's nightmare about? It's making me sick. And the guy says, Oh, thanks for waking me up. <laughs> it was horrible. It was really horrible. I, I dreamed this big loaf of bread rolled down the hill and squashed all our tents. Oh, I feel terrible. Oh, thank goodness I'm awake now. The other guy says, what do you mean loaf of bread? What is loaf of bread? He said, I don't know. Some, some big roll of bread came rolling out of the hill. And he said, yes, what is loaf of bread made of? He said, I don't know. I don't know. It's a loaf of bread. Who cares what's made of? He says, tell me. What is loaf of bread made of? He says, oh, it was made of barley. And the other guy says, oh, no, we are done for now. We are absolute history, you say. He's absolute gone because barley loaf is, is a big thing about Israel. It means something deep and mysterious. And Israel will come down and squash us. The other guy said, well, I don't think so. And he said, oh, yes, this omen. We're going to get squashed. Outside the tent, Gideon can't believe his eyes. He gets the snorts. It's unbelievable. He goes back up the top of the hill. You know you get encouragement along the way. Once you start down the right path, as well as the setbacks, you get encouragement. But you've got to look for them. You don't need any more proof that this system works as you're here. You've seen the people walk across the stage. You've seen this wonderful group of people here who are Mercuries. What are they called? Silvers and above. <laughs> I had the colour right. And if you look down, if you, you are not down here, obviously, because you're up there. If you look down here, you will see some very ordinary folk in this gathering here. <laughs> so take great encouragement, all right? Stand up, how many of you are noble, of noble birth, aristocrats, born with a silver spoon in your mouth? H hand up, there's probably one or two. Huh, look at that, none. See, they're just like you. All they did is follow the system earlier than you. Is that true? I'm not telling lies about you, am I? You followed the system just a little earlier. That's why you're here and they're not, but they're coming down here soon. We'll have to get a big auditorium with only one ground floor. That'll be funny, won't it? Yeah, all right. That's fine. He goes back up the top of the hill and he says, hmm, all right then, are you all ready? Because now we're going to do it, okay? So light your little torchy torch, so they light their blob of tar, put a cigarette lighter and pass it on around and everybody lights their bit. 
And then he says, when I say go, you all say, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, all right? A sword for the Lord and for Gideon, and we'll make a big noise. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but you follow the system, and the Lord said it would work out, all right? So, the reason they made a big noise, by the way, is because the first guy's armpit got really hot from having the torch on fire in his bars. Now I've got a little job for you. The people in the top tier, you're going to go, the top tier, all right? Let me hear you top tier people. Lovely. And the people in the second tier, you're going to make the trumpet noise. You're going to go, nah. are you ready? Yeah. And I've got a special job for the Mercuries and above, all right? The Silvers and above. <laughs> Where did that come from? I've just come back from Vienna. I'm very tired. And my tongue is stuck on the roof of my mouth. So he says, oh, your turn's coming. <laughs> so they do this. They smash their jars, blow in their trumpets, and they all shout at once, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Are you right? So here we go. Something strange happens when they do it, however. Because when they make all the noise, and so on, the guy that had the bad dream has fallen back to sleep and he wakes up and he says, oh, what's that? And he opens the flap of his tent and he sees 300 torches around him and he realises this is the end of the world because 300 people with torches represent a thousand people behind them and he knows that he's history. And he says, ah, the buns are coming. And in so doing, he's wearing his sword to bed. He actually backs in and he pokes the other bloke in his buns with the point of his spear. That guy wakes up with a fright and says, no, that's the buns, I'm going to kill somebody. So he picks out his sword and he thinks the guy is going to kill him. So he stabs him. Their tent falls over and it falls onto the next tent and those guys get pricked in the buns and they all start stabbing each other. And within a chain reaction, within 15, 20 seconds, the whole of the Midianites, whole 135 plus thousand of them, are all jumping around in the middle going, e ooh, and stabbing each other and killing each other and doing all sorts of ooky things. That's your job, right? We're going to write you off right now tonight. So your job is to go, ee, ah, ah. Are you ready? From the top. Here we go. Ooh, ah, and ee. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Army eyeball, he screams. That's right. Now, all the people at the top on the hill just sat there and watched because the system worked, you see. And they sat up on the top of the hill and they said, this is a funny little slice of life, isn't it? This really cuts me up. Because down in the, the tent they're going, ah, oh, the buns are coming, it's a McDonald's hamburger bun. There's a Lamington if ever I've seen one. Here's a bowl for barley bread, there's a piece of rye slice, and there's a rye vita. Stab, stab. They went berserk. They killed themselves. You probably wonder to yourself, how come they could be so dumb? As it says right here in the book. And the Midianites and the Amalekites were camped in the valley of Jezreel and they were as thick as locusts. <laughs> hey, you're not thick. You know that you have a great system. You have a great opportunity to change the world in your own lifetime with your learn, do, teach, with your duplication system. I hope you feel encouraged by the fact that this was an ordinary bloke who finally got his name listed in the great list of all of the great heroes of all time. His systems are taught in all the great military schools of the world of surprise and attack. 
May God bless you and may you reign forever. Thank you for having me and good night. Well, that was a night. I can tell you it was lots and lots of fun. I was really pumped, I can tell you. Anyway, every person is a sum total of their stories, so enjoy living and telling yours. You've been listening to Be So Good with Colin Pierce. Please share the link with someone who needs to be reminded that they are 10 times better than they think. For more episodes, check out the playlist at colinpierce.com slash podcast. And don't forget to drop a review in iTunes. It really does make a difference.